0: Today is week five of our teaching series in the remarkable book of Mark, and we're finally going to make it into chapter two. And as I said when I started this series, Mark is short and sweet and to the point, and it's like a a compilation of the greatest hits out of the life of Jesus, the greatest moments, the greatest sermons, the greatest miracles and happenings. And today we're going to look at two of the greatest hits in a message I've entitled, The Thing Behind the Thing and being notorious. So buckle up. Here we go. We're going to get right after it. First of all, check out this story, and I'll explain what it has to do with the thing behind the thing. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat the man was lying on. This is a very famous story. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are actually forgiven, which I'll tell you about that later. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, who does this, who does this fellow, I mean, why is he talking like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which must have freaked them out because they're going, and not only can he say pretty authoritative things, but he's going to read my mind, okay? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk? And they knew the answer. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up take up your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. All right. It seems so odd, at least when I read the story, it seems so odd to me that when Jesus first lays eyes on this man that had been lowered down through a hole created in the roof of this house by his friends and is on the floor, the first thing he says to him when he lays eyes on him is says, hey, your sins are forgiven. What? What? Can you imagine how his friends felt looking through the hole in the roof and they hear him say, your sins are forgiving? They must have been incredulous. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Are you kidding me? We went through a lot of trouble to get him to you. We're going to have to pay for this hole, okay? And yet the first thing you say is his sins are forgiven. I mean, that's nice and everything, but we're hoping you could do a little bit more than that. Like, for example, help him to walk again because in case you haven't noticed, he's paralyzed. But Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter here. He refuses to just deal with the externals in this man's life. Imagine you go to your doctor And you have two issues. First of all, you have a rash like poison oak on your arm that's quite visible. But you also have a compound fracture in your leg and the bone is sticking out of the skin. But it's covered a little bit by your pants, but it's protruding a little bit. Now, when you go into your doctor, if you said, and you can't even put any weight on your leg, you're just crawling. And if you said, hey, doctor, I got a problem here, he would go, yeah, you do. And they say, yeah, I need something for this rash right here. Your doctor would be worthless if that's all he treated you for. A good doctor would go, would ignore your request and go, hey, let's look at your leg right now. You got a significant issue there. That's what's going on. Now, the fact that this guy is paralyzed is a big deal. It's a big problem, especially in the pre technology era. It would have been almost impossible for him to be mobile. But Jesus in an act of great compassion, saw that there was something else going on in this guy's life below the surface. He was struggling with some sort of sin in his life. And we're not told what, some kind of wrong thinking or attitude or actions. And it was crushing him with guilt and shame. And Jesus sees this and he lets him know he's forgiven. It's an amazing healing of the guy's insides. Jesus didn't ignore the outside. He went on to heal his paralysis. But he didn't, he didn't stop at the visible. He noticed the invisible first. That's how Jesus rolls, okay? Because he always, you'll notice this. I've known the Lord for over 40 years now. And oftentimes Jesus doesn't give you what you ask for. He gives you what you really need that you don't even know to ask for. He deals with the thing behind the thing that's going on in our lives, just like he did for this guy. And then check this out. He tells the guy, pick up your mat and go home. This seems like a weird request, doesn't it? I mean, why would he want him to take this sweaty, dirty beggar's mat home with him? That seems like an odd request. And some people think, well, it's probably because his friends have made such a raving mess of the house. It was Jesus' way of saying, hey, now that you can walk, can you help us with the cleanup a little here? I mean, at least take your old gross mat home with you. I think there's more to it than that. I believe that this this mat ended up being a memorial for this guy. As I've told you before, human beings are forgetters. And you're not just a forgetter. The older you get, the more of a forgetter you are. That's just kind of how it goes. But we're all forgetters. We forget people's names. You introduce yourself to a person not even 10 minutes ago, and you forgot their name already, haven't you? You can shake your head or just, yeah, you're lying. Okay, but that's okay. But we forget appointments. I forgot an important appointment this week. We forget anniversaries. We even have some people, my wife being one of them, I'm not putting you to shame. This is probably normal. Okay but some people have two alarms in in the morning don't they one alarm is to wake you up and the second alarm is to actually remind you to go to work this simple little detail you'd forgotten about in the last 20 minutes that you've been awake okay or hour however long it takes you we need help remembering stuff this is why we have holidays to remember important events we have plaques to remember important people we even have Things like historical markers on the edge of the road to remember important cultural things in our society. Some people, maybe you're one of them, it used to be if you got your tonsils taken out, the doctor would go, hey, do you want them in a jar? You can take them home. You can remember what happened to you today. Stuff like that. These are all memory aids. They're memorials. This guy had his mat. It was sweaty and gross and dusty, but it was a memorial nonetheless. The mat would have helped him remember The remarkable thing that Jesus did in his life that day. Not just the physical cure of his body, but the fact that he got rescued from the crushing weight of the guilt and shame in his life. Every time he would have looked at that mat, if he kept it in a closet at home or leaning up against the wall, he would have said, oh, that's right. My sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. I'll put a comma there, but let me ask you a question. We're family here, and so be honest with me. How many of you on your phones have at least 500 photos saved on your phone? Can you just raise your hand? Oh, golly. Okay, no, keep them up, okay? (laughs) I just want to know what I'm dealing with here, okay? How many of you, and be honest with me, have over (laughs) 1,000? You're amazing. Okay, you can put your hands down. That amazes me. I have 157. That's how many I have. You know why I have 157? Because something has to be really special for me to save it. I don't take 48 pictures of my dog sleeping, okay? I don't do that. It has to be really special. And one of the images on my phone serves as a memorial to me. It's um, actually a work of graffiti that was done in our neighborhood, and it got painted over. And usually graffiti annoys me, but this one took my breath away. I showed it to you in a sermon about a year ago, but I want to re-show it to you. It's just this, this image right here, right by my house. Somebody took some time and did that on a fence. Not their fence. It was a church's fence, but oh well. Okay. <laughs> and it's since been painted over, but I loved it. And that stays on my phone Because every time I'm scrolling through the images of my phone and I come across that picture, it's a memorial to me. And I remember that the words that Jesus spoke to this man in the story, he speaks to me. Your sins are forgiven. Every single one of them. You know, much of the Bible is written in the the Hebrew language, the whole Old Testament. And in the Hebrew language, the word for forgive shares the same root as the word for dance. So no matter what you do on your phone, no matter how many images you save, if it's 1,000, 2,000, hundreds, no matter what, make sure you have one that's a memorial for you of the fact that you are forgiven by God. Every single one of your sins is erased. You are made clean because when you realize your sins are forgiven, your heart will dance in the presence of a merciful God. So I challenge you to do that. If you don't have one of those, you can borrow that one. I'll send it to you. Let me know. I'll just send it to you. Or I was going to say do your own graffiti, but that's actually illegal. And We have some policemen in the audience, so don't do that. Graffiti your own fence and then take a picture of it, okay? Now let's move on to being notorious. Look at this story out of Mark chapter 2 also. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi, also named Matthew, Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the lost um, who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not called to come the righteous, but I've called to come, I've come to call sinners. Interesting, okay? When we read this story, we should be able to relate to both the parties in this, Jesus and the tax collectors. And let me explain. I'll start with Jesus. He was having dinner with a bunch of tax collectors. Now remember, in this time, to go to dinner with someone was far more than a social nicety. When you went to dinner, as soon as you crossed the threshold of their house, it was believed that you entered into a significant relationship with them. A friendship, a bond was formed because you were breaking bread together. So it was an important act. It wasn't just a social nicety. And that makes the fact that Jesus was having dinner with these tax collectors shocking. Because in their society, these tax collectors were known as notorious sinners. They were known to be greedy. They were in league with the Romans who had occupied, they'd conquered and occupied these people's lands. And they were taxing the bejeebers out of them. The taxes on the Hebrew people at this time, on the Jewish people rather at this time, were up to 70%. So these tax collectors were viewed as like white-collar criminals. And in early, Jesus, in early Jewish teachings, it was believed it wasn't a sin if you lied to a tax collector. Lying is a sin, but not if you lied to a tax collector. Because they're such scum, the lie doesn't count if you lie to them. Don't try to get away with that, by the way. Hey, I lied to that person, but they're a scum. I'm sure God's okay with it, okay? It just doesn't work. And here's Jesus going to a dinner party with a group of these notorious sinners, and he's basically announcing to the whole world, these are my people. These are my people. I love that. I want to show you a line from a poem by Rumi. Look what he says. Forget safety. Live where you fear to live. Destroy your reputation and be notorious. Jesus was destroying his reputation by eating dinner with this group of notorious sinners. And I believe with my whole heart, he's inviting us to do the same thing. He's inviting us to go to places and hang out with people that will make the holier-than-thou Christians with their constipated faith that's forged in legalism disapprove of us. That's what he's inviting us to do. Don't try to protect your reputation. Destroy it for the sake of love. Be notorious. Love people that are on the naughty list. You'll not only have a blast and you'll form a lot of brand new friendships, but you'll get to know Jesus on a deeper level. Because catch this. When you imitate the behavior of Jesus, being notorious like he was, your eyes are open to see him. I want to say that again because it's so true. It's been so true in my life. When you imitate the behavior of Jesus, your eyes are opened up to who Jesus is and what he's really like. Ah, so you want to grow closer to God? Great. That's a great goal. Be notorious. Love like he loved. Alright? Now, let's look at the tax collectors. Yes, they were notorious sinners, but you got to tip your hat to them, because look what they did. They invited Jesus over for dinner. They knew they were sinners. Some Christians think they have to be the sin police, and they have to let people know all about their sin. No, you don't. Do you need to know about your sin? Of course you don't. You're already quite aware of it, okay? These people were aware of the notorious sin in their life, of their greed and their lying and their cheating and whatever they were doing, all right? But they didn't let that sin in them, those flaws, that failure, keep them away from Jesus. All of us have some notorious bits about our life, don't we? Let's be honest. Some of you in here are notorious warriors. You're notorious for it. You catastrophize every difficulty that comes your way. You make mountains out of molehills every single moment of your life. You spend most of your life living in the land of what if and going to the worst case scenarios. All right? You're notorious warriors. Some of you are notorious grudge holders. A friend of mine, we were having a discussion in our house the other day. (laughs) She just killed me. She looked at me and some other people in the room. She was so honest. She goes, you know, I have an extensive you're dead to me list. And she's a believer. She loves the Lord with all her heart. She's a godly human being. But she's basically saying, I know I need to forgive these people, but I don't want to right now. So I just stick them on the you're dead to me list. I have five people on my you're dead to me list right now. Actually, I have seven. Two of them got off and then this weekend they went back on. (laughs) So so it's actually seven. So I know what she's talking about. It's so easy to be a notorious grudge holder. Some of us are notorious gossips, and we do it, we rationalize it by saying, you know, I'm only telling you this juicy bit of information about this person so you can pray for them. That is a chocolate-covered turd, ladies and gentlemen. That is an awful thing wrapped in a candy coating to make it seem like it's okay when it's not, and some of you are in that category. Some of you are notoriously grumpy. You are notoriously grumpy. Nothing makes you happy. If a litter of kittens tumbled out of heaven and danced and sang all the single ladies or some song like that just for your pleasure, you would still be angry and grumpy. You would go, oh, that's great, God. Why couldn't you send me puppies or something like that, okay? We've all got our issues. We've all got our rough edges. We've all got our failures, our flaws, our sins, our notorious bits. Some of our notorious bits are quite a bit darker than the things that I mention here. But that's why I want to share an amazing quote out of a book I read probably about eight years ago. And I want to put it up on the screen. Think about your life and this quote. The more of me I keep in hiding, the less of me is actually participating in the relationship. And I love that there's a cactus there. Because you're thinking to yourself, I got these prickly parts that people wouldn't want to be close to. The more of me I keep in hiding, the less of me is actually participating in the relationship. This is true of all relationships, even our relationship with God. God refuses to love us by the slice. He loves us completely. And in order for us to love Him completely back, we have to, we have to offer our whole selves to God even the notorious parts, the parts that we'd rather keep hidden from all people and even from God. And when we do, when we have that courage to offer him our whole selves, we find out something. We find out that our sins and our imperfections and our fatal flaws won't scare him away because his love isn't that fickle. But instead, he stays just like he did for the tax collectors, and he'll reassure us of his love. And you'll hear him whisper into your heart the same thing I'm sure he whispered about the tax collectors. Oh, yeah, you're my people. You are my people. Oh, I love that. Andre Noun, a great author, get his books and read all of them, okay, if you're a reader. Andre Noun, he said it best. He says, where you are most human, most yourselves there Jesus lives. (laughs) Did you get that? He didn't say where you are most perfect and most shiny and most happy, there Jesus lives. No. He says where you are most human, most yourselves, it's there that Jesus lives because Jesus is a God of reality and he can handle our reality. So being notorious means loving like Jesus loved ruining your reputation. But it also means allowing yourself to be loved by Jesus, even the notorious parts of you. All right? Let me pray for us today. I want to close with this. And I'm going to ask you to do something. We never do this. So if you're a newcomer today, I never do this. Well, I can't say never. I'm doing it today. But we rarely do this. But We are a community here and scripture says when you when you pray and especially when you need some healing in your life to call for people and they'll lay hands on you and you'll be healed. So I'm gonna call I'm gonna just ask you to do something difficult. Lay hands on each other right now. Can you grab hands? And as I'm praying, can you be praying for the person next to you? Because you don't God knows, but you don't know what they're carrying. And some people in this room are carrying some physical illness. Some people in this room are carrying some, some guilt and shame that's crushing them. And I wanted to pray for us today. So let me pray. God, for some of us, Lord, we need healing. We're sick. We've gotten some diagnosis that's scaring us to death right now, Lord. Or we've got something that's been hanging on and and physically it's just sucking the energy and the life out of us, Lord. And Lord, I don't understand all about healing. It's way above my pay grade, Lord. But I make everybody in this room, Lord, a candidate for healing right now. And we pray just like you did for the man that was lowered through the roof, Lord, that you would heal our physical bodies, Lord. Thank you so much for that, God. That's beyond us, but it's not beyond you. So we ask that in faith, Lord. And also, Lord, if there's some people in here that are holding on to some guilt and shame and it's crushing them, could they hear these words from you? Not from me, but could they hear them from you right now? Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. If that's you, let your heart dance in the presence of the divine today and go get a memorial today that will remind you of that truth. And God, please help us to have the courage to be notorious, to go to places and to love people that will ruin our reputation with the hyper-religious crowd, Lord. And as we imitate you, may we experience more of you. And lastly, God, We know you love us completely. So we bring our whole selves into our relationship with you. Even the notoriously negative parts, and I've got a lot of them. You know all about my you're dead to me list. I am aware of that, Lord. But I even bring that to you. And thanks, Lord, that none of our sins, none of our failures and flaws ever scare you away. You just look at us and say, you are my people. Thanks, Lord. We rejoice in these things today. In your name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Have a glorious week. We're going to continue Mark next week, but this Wednesday...